This is Arab Talk on KPOO 89.5 FM in San Francisco. This is Arab Talk with Jess and Jamal. I'm Jess Nam, And I'm Jamal Dejani. Jamal, we're in the thick of war. Ukraine is under siege right now. Close to 4 million refugees, Ukrainian refugees, now going into the one month of the war. We have multiple cities in Ukraine that are devastated, including Mariupol, which, you know, the the uh, Russian military and Putin demanded that uh, Zelensky and the Ukrainians uh, basically give up sovereign territory in order to have a humanitarian corridor. The situation is grim. As we speak now, Kiev is under attack, uh, the suburbs and part of the intersection uh, getting close to the border with Kiev is being bombed as we speak. It's a grotesque, awful, catastrophic situation in Ukraine right now, Jamal. And I'm sad to say that my prediction is proving to be more and more accurate as time goes on. The West has completely miscalculated Putin and his drive. I don't see any change in sight for this onslaught for Ukraine or Ukrainians. Despite that, um, President Zelensky decided that he wanted to address the Israeli parliament and made this really kind of bizarre connection between the Holocaust and what's happening in Ukraine right now. We're going to talk about that. We're going to also talk about APAC and how it's endorsing a lot of Republican candidates who still believe in the big lie and you know still believe that the 2020 election was stolen. We're going to talk a little bit about that. And then after our analysis, we're going to talk quite a bit with, uh, we're going to do a great interview with uh, Professor Rabab Abdelhadi and Professor Tomami uh, Kinukawa at uh, San Francisco State uh, University, uh, talking about their grievances against SFSU. We have a lot to talk about, Jamal, but before we get to Professor Abdelhadi and Kinukawa, it's really grim in the in Ukraine right now. Yeah, well... <laughs> It is, and and we have to talk about actually what we've been speaking about, how this war is being misre- misread and misled in a way. Uh, Absolutely. You know, seeing different things, at least from our perspective. But you started uh, by talking about uh, the Russian offer to open two safe corridors uh, out to Mariupol in exchange of the city's surrender uh, and uh, basically uh, Ukraine firmly rejected this. So you know you're going to see more onslaught and, and Kyiv is also is under attack. Uh, we're going now, we're going to be entering a second month. It That's is, correct. In, in, into this war, many people thought that this was going to be an incursion or as the Russians call it, a limited operation. That's how Putin was describing it initially. And now it's a full-fledged war. Then the exaggeration part, which uh, we'll talk about it also, is uh, I keep hearing Zelensky not only comparing the... Uh, the Russian invasion to Ukraine to the Holocaust, but he keeps talking about World War III. And I've been listening to a lot of military analysts who are saying, no way, this war has to be limited to the Ukrainian border. But it's almost like he has a death wish 
not on on Ukraine, but on the entire war to drag in order for him, I I think in his calculation or miscalculation, uh, to stop the war is to drag NATO into it, to drag the United States into it, and even drag Israel into it. So he is almost wishing that we will have a World War III, Jess. Jamal, I think your analysis is very interesting, and I have a I, I have an, a kind of slight addition to your analysis. I believe that Zelensky is uh, has miscalculated, just like the United States has miscalculated. Uh, I have breaking news for President Zelensky: NATO is not going to come to his rescue. He's not going to get uh, uh, any additional warplanes. He may get more weapons. But this is going to be limited to Ukraine. And if that's the case, Jamal, Zelensky has to face a very painful reality that uh, his country is going to be devastated. And the only way out is going to be, unfortunately, to succumb to the uh, Russian and Putin demands of a full-scale occupation of Ukraine, the taking over of Mariupol, the taking over of the two separatist regions. And I believe, Jamal, the ultimate is also going to be to install a puppet leadership and to get rid of Zelensky out of Ukraine. And guess what? I, you know, As we've been talking about, looks like Ukraine is going to align itself eventually in order to save itself more with Russia than it will with the West. And I think part of Zelensky's kind of bizarre calculation here, he may be preparing the West for his, because the only options are become a Russian satellite or self-destruct for yourself and for millions of Ukrainians. That's that's his uh, decision point right now. So he's either going to you know, be responsible for millions of more refugees and tens of thousands of more deaths or he's going to succumb to the Russian demands because NATO in the United States is not going to bail out Ukraine, Jamal, full stop. Well, he doesn't seem to be succumbing to the Russian demands. I mean, he keeps that waffling. One, that day he, one day he says the negotiations are, uh, are going well and we are willing to listen to what Putin has to say. And then the other day he's defiant and he's reaching out to NATO, asking them to send him planes. He's asking uh, Poland to bring him weapons. He's asking Israel to provide the Iron Dome. And, 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 then, right. and then if you watch the news right here in the United States, uh, not only, I mean, yes, we are seeing images of the death and destruction. And, and, and I feel a lot of sympathy towards the uh, uh, Ukrainian uh, population who have been de- uh, that, has, that has been devastated basically, but at the same at the same time, there is also an egging or I would say an encouragement and saying kind of hang on there like like as if people want to watch them and and I've, I've sadly to say as if journalists want to watch Ukrainian pay with the last drop of their blood to keep this war going. When you have military experts and and other analysts who are saying, listen, actually the offer that that uh, Putin has submitted because you've mentioned, I don't, I don't believe Putin want to hold on to the entire Ukraine. I think he wants Crimea to be part of Russia and 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 maybe maybe and Mariupol and maybe, Mariupol, yeah, and maybe maybe the two separatist, separatist rep- republics. Maybe he might be able to he might negotiate on this. Definitely not uh, not Crimea. And definitely not without 
the Ukraine and its president changing the constitution to say that they will never allow NATO or they will never join NATO and they will never allow foreign troops or bases on its soil. That offer, by the way, was made back in February 19th. So this war could have been stopped before it has started, Jess. This that's is this no, that, that's exactly right, Jamal. It could have been stopped. And I think part of the Zelensky delusion, and I'm sorry to say that I believe Zelensky is delusional. Um, and I'm going to get to the media part in a second here and believing that he, you know, the West and NATO would come to his and the United States would come to his rescue. They, they haven't and they won't. And he's still holding on to that. And then unfortunately, you have this media complicity this this almost uh, perverse uh, attempt to continue to interview and speak to suffering Ukrainians to hold on to that for whatever reason, ratings, whatever, and, um, you know, portraying this heroic struggle that the Ukrainian resistance is providing. I, I mean, that is such a painful narrative for me and you to watch because, you know, the reality on the ground, again, according to military experts and based on what we're getting and what we're analyzing, is that the Russians are involved in a slow grind. They're going to go at it day by day, city by city. This is not going to be a quick takeover. They see that and they are squeezing the life out of Ukraine. They're squeezing the life out of Kiev. They're squeezing the life out of so much of uh, Ukrainian life that you're going to have, you know, f- there's 4 million refugees now. It could double for more, all we just, know. More, uh, yeah. you, you have internally displaced people, have the pop- right. population is pretty much in- internally displaced. So I, I really believe that not only is there media complicity and Zelensky's delusion, maybe Zelensky's kind of saying, hey, you, it's, it's the West's fault that we turn to the West to uh, uh, Russia and Putin. Maybe well, he's setting it up. NATO and the United States, let's face it, encouraged him, but then threw him under the bus. 100%. They threw you, him under the know, bus. They uh, threw all of Ukraine under the bus, yes, tomorrow. Yes, because they realized the power of, of, of Russia. And we haven't seen, actually, the, the, the tip of the iceberg. Just, just recently, they started using what hypersonic, hypersonic missiles. Hypersonic missiles, right. And, 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 you know, so initially they were saying, oh, they're not advancing. Of course, it's very hard to advance into cities without destroying an entire city and annihilating an entire population. And that's not the intention. I mean, of course, they've been ruthless because a lot of civilians have been hit. But imagine if you go through carpet bombing that which happened during the invasion of Berlin or or with the uh, Germans with with London, uh, you know, bombarding the hell out of uh, London. This didn't happen. And, And Russia has the resources and the power to do this. And we don't want to see this. So this this kind well, of thing, you don't want to see it happening. I, I think most people don't want to see this. But unfortunately, the, the the narrative that's being perpetrated by the media here and by our, and by the Biden administration is this heroic struggle of the people of Ukraine. And they're making Zelensky out to be this heroic figure, propping him up still. And, and the tragedy is, is that the outcome looks very grim. Because they put Zelensky into yet another corner. Is he going to not hold on to this heroic view of himself? Is he going to succumb to Russia? Which is the only solution, unfortunately, now in terms of saving himself and saving his country. So I think it's a horrible 
position that the United States has, and NATO and Europe have put him in. He doesn't have a lot of good options. A lot of Ukrainians are dying and, and are you know, being made refugees. And I, I keep coming back to this, Jamal. The United States miscalculated Putin yet again. Uh, I have, you know, the, the other news here is that they're not stopping him. They're just not going to stop no, no, no. Putin. They're, look, Zelensky made two major addresses uh, recently and has been appealing every day, not only him, but right. I've been seeing Ukrainian parliamentarians right. and, and, and citizens, uh, uh, you know, appealing to the world. And he had a standing ovation uh, uh, talking to the U.S. Congress and a lot of... Uh, promises of sending weapons and, and, and money and right. so forth. Right. But, you know, without major military intervention and without having an air force or an air cover, it's not going to change. Nothing's going to change. It's just going to prolong, prolong the war. And then recently he had another appeal. I mean, the only two countries where he had direct appeal to the U.S. Congress right here in the United States and then the Israeli parliament or the Israeli Knesset uh, the other day. And then he's again going to the Israeli Knesset and asking uh, for the Iron Dome and, and, and other weapons and why they have not helped him. And by the way, of course, talking about what's happening in the Ukraine is is akin to what happened to uh, during the Holocaust. And this even from someone like... Uh, the Israeli Prime Minister uh, Bennett, you know, uh, he he said that uh, no way you cannot make this comparison <laughs> to, the, to to the Holocaust, and that's not the same thing. I mean, even Bennett has to say to, to kind of put the brake on this comparison. You're not going to draw us in. This is not a Holocaust that's going on, but what really kind of uh, and we talked about this kind of taken me aback with this Zelensky. A, he's been reaching out to an apartheid state like Israel to, to mediate between Ukraine and, and Russia. And then the other thing is in his address, because I kind of like paid attention to it word by word, saying something like, your struggle is similar to our struggle. I mean, here, Israel, it's an occupying such, it, power. It's so bogus. I'm sorry, Zelensky. And, uh, and, and, I'm sorry to the Ukrainian people. And putting it, a, well, that's the thing. I mean, and putting, you know, he's appealing and he's saying, your struggle is similar to our struggle. Uh, like, again, an occupying power, an apartheid state that keeps uh, Palestinians, millions of Palestinians under its boots, basically, for decades, and he's saying that's the same thing like Russia invading our country. I think, you know, I like I said, we have a lot of sympathy towards the Ukrainian people, but he's not going to draw my sympathy with this kind of comparison and nonsense. But not only will he not draw our sympathy, but apparently he won't even draw the sympathy of the of the apartheid leaders themselves, because they see it as a bogus comparison, not for the same reason we do, obviously, but they see it as a bogus comparison. I mean, you know, the fact that the media refuses to have a critical analysis of Zelensky, Jamal, and a critical analysis of what's happening in Ukraine right now is going to cause more harm, death, destruction to Ukrainians, because it's putting the United States more in it in a way that makes it unwinnable. 
So, um, and here's the other breaking news for Zelensky, uh, Jamal. Uh, if, if the Israelis, if the apartheid leadership had to decide between Ukraine, Zelensky, and Russia, and the oligarchs, by the way, guess where they're going to put their money and emphasis? They're going to support Putin and the oligarchs. In fact, there are probably 12 to 13 Russian oligarchs who are trying to, or already in the apartheid state, avoiding or trying to avoid, you know, the sanctions that have been put on by the United States and the EU. So Zelensky's got it all wrong in terms of his calculation, in terms of the sympathies of the apartheid regime. There, you know, uh, I, if, if you put uh, Naftali Bennett, you know, and made him decide, he'd, he'd saddle up to Putin much more quickly than he would saddle up with Zelensky. So I think, you know, Zelensky's made so many missteps and it's going to cause his people and his country so much harm and misery. It's, it's really tragic, Jamal. Well, that's why I said initially he has been misled, but he's accepting to being uh, misled. He, he has appealed to the United States and, and, and President Biden made it clear that Americans are not going to get involved in this war. You know, you're not going to uh, put boots on the like ground. You're and not going like to fly. Right. And, but that's like giving a Putin a green light, Jamal. What, what basically NATO and, and, and Biden are saying to Putin, do whatever you want. We're not going to institute a no-fly zone. We're not going to defend. And you said it before, and it's absolutely true. Without an air force and an, and an air military presence there, there's no way they can stop the Russians. There's just no way they can do it. Well, it seems like we're going to keep talking about this next week as well, because I don't see this settling anytime soon unless Zelensky basically says, I'm going to accept the Russian uh, demands. The because now, now he's saying, let's sit down and talk. And actually, Russia has been ignoring him. Yeah, Be because well, they see him, him. They see him running yeah. to the Israelis, and they see him running here and there, and being rejected basically. And so they're in no hurry to sit down. Uh, That's on right. The table they with see him. him as weak. They see him as very weak. And you know, we'll get into the media analysis in the future. But I'm actually quite angry at the media for a lot of reasons, the misrepresentations, Jamal, but also this 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 kind of perverse. And I, I alluded to this, this kind of perversity of putting Ukraine, the faces and the mothers and the children of Ukraine who are suffering, you know, constantly on the news and then letting them just suffer and then getting their interview and walking away. I well, think is, I mean, yeah, I mean, look, uh, not to mention all the advocacy that we are seeing. I mean, right. Instead of reporting just on the news, just having this like once in a while, like actually this interview that I saw on CNN, CNN International of the local CNN, where an American retired lieutenant colonel uh, expert who said, I urge every Western leader, starting with President Biden, don't listen to Zelensky. No way uh, that we should allow this war to spill beyond the borders of Ukraine. 100%. We cannot afford World War Three. Uh, and Zelensky should have accepted the offer back in February, and we would not have been. And the the interviewer uh, basically was surprised by his answer, and and was saying, uh, even though she said, "Well, maybe 
you're saying something correct, but don't you think this is callous? And he said, what are you talking about? I mean, I, we have to speak the truth. It's not callous but, towards the Ukrainian. It's just saying, don't expect any direct help from but, Europe or from the United States. Right, but Jamal, what's more callous? Uh, giving the Ukrainians a false sense of hope and letting tens of thousands die, uh, have a country be decimated, over 4 million refugees, which is what ha which is what has happened since February 19th, Jamal. So if he had accepted the offer and dealt with the really tragic consequences of becoming a Russian satellite state, that still would have saved his country from it being destroyed, it would have saved 4 million refugees from leaving, and they could have had a different calculation. But, you know, that's unfortunately, you know, what happens when you become a little delusional. Yes. The other story, which is because now all eyes uh, are on, on the Ukraine, uh, just a small report, even though actually uh, like AOC from Congress and others mentioned it just, and this is the big thing, that APEC now with its back against the wall is trying to defend that uh, it... The steel. The, the steel, not only the steel that they have endorsed dozens of Republicans who have endorsed the big lie uh, that Donald Trump won the 2020 election. And, and some of them, they've actually voted against certifying the 2020 elections as member That's of right. Congress. So they've been caught through these communications where basically uh, what they have done. And then now they're coming, trying to defend their position, saying, well... At the end of the day, we are a one item or one cause organization is to protect Israel, etc., etc. And as long as these congressmen and congresswomen support Israel, we don't care about where they stand. So as long as as long as they protect Israel, but are racist, Islamophobic, white supremacists, we're okay with that. As long as they're willing to protect, you know, an occupying apartheid state. Well, I'm, you know, AOC called it out. We'll see if anybody else has any uh, courage to stand up and to say the same thing. I mean, I saw some of the people that they're endorsing, Jamal. These are, it would be kind to call them white supremacists. These well, people, they've endorsed among the list uh, Ohio Representative Jim Jordan, Texas Representative Ronnie Jackson, uh, by the way, the former White House physician who says Trump won the 2020 election, Pennsylvania Representative Stuck, uh, Scott Perry, who compared Democrats to Nazis, okay? Right. Uh, New York Representative uh, Elise Stefanik, uh, uh, you know... From New York, right. From New York, you know, she pushed racist anti-Semitic replacement right. theory, if you remember that, to her ads on uh, Facebook. Uh, with an image of immigrants uh, coming across the border uh, reflected in President Joe Biden's aviator sunglasses. I mean, and the list goes on. We're not talking about one or two. Well, you know, people, you know, this is, and, and the thing is, and this is why we bring it up, Jamal, they're not even hiding it. They're basically saying, we'll support any racist, white supremacist, Islamophobe, 
we'll give you money, we'll want you to be in Congress as long as you support an apartheid regime. That's basically what we're up against. And I don't know if the American public really is paying attention to this. Obviously, they're not. Well, my question to the State Department, because it has the authority, <laughs> right. is when will it ask APEC to reg register as a foreign agent? As a foreign agent. agent. Thank you. Thank you for bringing that up. I don't think they're going to do it. But this is a question that we need to keep pressing. They're acting as a foreign agent. This is not just, I mean, they're basically saying we'll go against the Constitution of the United States if it supports, you know, this, you know, if it supports the uh, state of Israel. It's unbelievable. You're listening to Arab Talk on KPOO San Francisco 89.5 FM. Let's go to uh, this uh, interview. We've talked about this topic just like you'll think this is almost another topic that. You, uh, I mean, but it's not it, going away, Jamal. It's not going to go away. It's not going to change. It's not going away. It's and, not. And now, uh, which is very important, you know, again, and we talked about this is about the virtual open classroom that was co-organized co by Professor uh, Rabab Abdelhadi, founding director of the uh, Ahmed at San Francisco State University, and also her co-organizer, uh, Professor Tomomi Kinokawa. Uh, Dr. Rabab Abdelhadi had a hearing uh, Senate hearing, she bas basically, the Senate sided with her. Right, San academic Fr Senate, right. San Francisco State University president vetoed that, went to arbitration, also another panel sided with Dr. Uh, Rabab Abdelhadi. Now there is another new hearing for uh, uh, Dr. Tomomi Kinokawa, uh, who's, from, uh, who's from the uh, another department, not uh, Ahmed, from the Women and Gender Studies department, facing the same issue and the same harassment and the same attack. Yet San Francisco State University uh, just uh, refuses to acknowledge that no. uh, or defend them. Jamal, they're doubling down, man. They're 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 doing the Trump. They're doing the APAC thing. They are doubling down. They're not. They're they're in the same delusional space, I would say, as Zelensky. I mean, we'll come back at this after the uh, after this really good interview that you did, but. They're doubling down in a very destructive way, I think, San Francisco state leadership. So here is uh, Professors uh, Kinokawa and Abdel Hadi. On September 23rd, 2020, San Francisco State University administrators collaborated with corporate tech giants such as Zoom, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube to shut down a virtual open classroom entitled Whose, narrative, whose Narratives, Gender, Justice, and Resistance, A Conversation with Layla Khalid. This virtual open classroom was co-organized by Professor Rabab Abdelhadi, founding director of the Arab and Muslim Ethnicities and Diaspora Studies program, Ahmed, and Professor Tomomi Kinokawa, lecturer in the Women and Gender Studies Department. San Francisco State University President Lynn Mahoney initially issued a statement uh, saying that the university does not believe that the class panel discussion violates Zoom's terms of service or the law, but then she backtracked by saying that Zoom is a private company and, that ha and it had the right to set its own terms of, of service. Hence, the university did not 
take any action to defend its faculty and protect both professors' academic freedom, nor did it provide an alternative platform for the panel to go on. Joining us to discuss this and more, professors Abdul Hadi and Kinukawa. Welcome to Arab Talk, professors. Thank you for having them. It's always a pleasure to be back with you. So let me start with Dr. Kirokawa. Uh, you also submitted, because I'm, the reason I'm saying this, and I know our audience here is familiar with the case. We've had Dr. Abdelhadi several times, and this is like an ongoing saga. Like, I wake up hoping that this will be settled. It hasn't been settled. And uh, Dr. Kinokawa, you've submitted a separate grievance in accordance with the collective bargaining agreement between the university management and the union. And last week, you started the hearing and you were telling me before the show, it got uh, adjourned. Uh, but anyway, uh, what were you trying to achieve with also having a parallel hearing? Yes, um, thank you so much. So. Um, I submitted my grievance, um, which in the content is um, the identical with Dr. Abdulhadi's uh, grievance. And um, it's partly because um, in the grievance process, because of individualism in the system, um, the, the, they don't allow us to do a collective grievance. So um, in order to protect my own academic freedom, I needed to do my grievance, but um, also um, because the um, Dr. Abdulhadi's grievance, um, like for for her grievance, um, as I think you that you had a, um, a like a Dr. Abdulhadi and Dr. Um, uh, I mean her representative. Um, sorry, the, um, so that. The Dr. Abdulhadi's case, like the faculty hearing panel, um, ruled in favor of Dr. Abdulhadi. And um, but, however, after that, um, President Mahoney vetoed um, the faculty panel's uh, decision, uh, which said that the university did violate the academic freedom of both of us, and also um, they said that um, university um, led the private corporation and also. Um, Danish organization, a, a lawfare project um, to censor our classroom. And um, so, the, but then the, because President Mahoney didn't, I mean, rejected the decision, our academic freedom is still being violated as we speak. And so, um, so we wanted to push the case further. Um, so. so let me, let me ask, uh... As a lecturer in the Women and Gender Studies Department, prior to your collaboration with Dr. Abdelhadi, or prior to being involved in a discussion about basically Palestine, were you subjected to any uh, censorship or uh, violation to your academic freedom by the administrators at San Francisco State University? I mean, did you experience any discrimination prior to this event? Prior to this event, um, I don't believe that the administration uh, intervened my teaching directly. I'm not even sure if they knew what I was teaching um, prior to 
uh, my collaboration with Dr. Abdulhadi. So that was the first time um, I was teaching. Um, I teach women like an introductory feminist um, studies course, and uh, I have been using Dr. Abdulhadi's um, really definitive work um, about um, you know, um, Palestine, Arab, um, um, and um, Muslim. Uh, feminism and also transnational feminism and feminism in general. Um, we, I have been using her work for years, like over fifteen years, in my syllabus, um, and um, and and then um, I got to, I had an honor to invite her um, in spring two thousand twenty to my course, and uh, Dr. Abdurhadi, um like. Graciously, I, I mean, like accepted my offer, but then um, my invitation. But then um, she also proposed to um, co-organize the open classrooms, and that's how our collaboration started. And then one of the open classrooms that we co-organized got um, silenced, and um, so that was the first time actually I heard from the administration, and also. Um, in addition to what you already mentioned, um, the prior to the open classroom, um, the first we heard that um, the lawfare project sent a letter to Department of Justice saying that our classroom um, like violates the uh, you know, anti-terrorist law, like that, and counts as a material support for terrorism. And then um, after that, um, the and the Zoom was threatening to cancel the course under the pressure of journalists. And then um, the, the provost Jennifer Summit uh, emailed us uh, prior to the open classroom and um, in a, the, um, and, and told us that um, our class um, might violate um, laws and uh, we better find our own lawyers and um, protect ourselves um, and um, the and so that without any kind of at that point any um, evidence like any counsel with the um, their lawyers but they, she just told us um, what she was taught by what she called outside um, individuals and organizations and then um, so it was we were very, I mean, I was very scared, like uh, the, the worrying about the possible um, imprisonment or like, uh, so she's, the doctor, I mean, sorry, Provost Summit mentioned that we might get imprisoned because of that. And wow, so, she, she, she even said that you might be imprisoned. That's, that's uh, basically for academic speech really or academic academic freedom so specifically you were targeted because you got involved and and you came on the radar because of this this panel and because the issue is about uh, palestine let me just remind of our uh, viewers and listeners that and, and this is something you can expand on uh, dr abdel hadi that the two panels the first panel right they they uh, they they said they basically rendered a decision asking the university to issue a public apology for you for failing to uphold your academic freedom, issue a letter voicing support 
for the program and faculty members' academic freedom and provide a platform for rescheduling the original. The president, uh, President Mahoney, vetoed this. Then uh, this went to arbitration. And again, they, they, a new panel in arbitration also sided with your case. And now what's next? The, uh, thank you, Jamal. I want to just add to uh, what my colleague, Professor Tomomi Kinakawa, said, that uh, Professor Kinakawa has been involved in teaching and, and uh, supporting Palestine for a while, but uh, because this came on the radar of the Zionists, and because the Zionist groups noticed it, and because the Zionist groups say that there is no way there is going to allow anybody to speak about Palestine and speak about the truth about what's going on. As you know, now we are uh, facing... Uh, several exposures of Israel, and Israel is having a very serious PR problem, uh, given that uh, now at least three major human rights organizations, Amnesty International, the latest, before that Human Rights Watch, and before that it is Israel's own, B'Tselem, have actually confirmed what Palestinians have been saying all along, that this is conditions of apartheid, and, and not only Palestinians, our also sisters, brothers, comrades in South Africa, today is the anniversary of the Sharpville massacre. So we also honor uh, the martyrs there, and there is a very strong struggle. They, this is the Israel is having a very serious problem. So Israel's supporters in the U.S., like the World Lawfare Project, AMCHA, stand with us, Anti-Defamation League, Zionist Organization of America, APAG, the various Israel lobby groups, wanted to completely shut us down. So what they did is they went all out. And the problem is that our own university, actually, it's not only that they did not do anything. Actually, they contributed. They were very much complicit in shutting us down and violating our academic freedom. This is why the faculty hearing panel, the first one on, uh, that was convened on September 30th, ruled unanimously, unanimously demanding that the university apologize to us. And part of the reason for that is because the university argued in its case that we were not harmed that neither me nor Professor Tomomi Kinakawa were harmed, that we weren't harmed because actually who was harmed was Leila Khaled because she wasn't allowed to speak. And uh, we were saying that actually Leila Khaled speaks on Zoom and, and she had an event a week afterwards. What the Zionists were trying to do is pre prevent this becoming a legitimate subject of study and curriculum within the university. I mean, this is really very, very much part of and parcel of what designers have been trying to shut down academic voices, students, faculty, try to prevent younger people from learning about the truth about Palestine, the truth about Zionist narratives that have been trying to continue making it uh, consensus in the U.S. and so on, because the, the, turn has turned, the tide has turned. And so we were at the, the panel decided that they should apologize to us for the harm that they cause us. And if we want to talk about the harm, I don't think we even have enough time in one episode to discuss it, what happened to us. The fact that we had for two months to look for lawyers to say that we did not engage in material support for terrorism, that we were not going to be thrown in prison, that we had to go and fend for ourselves, find our own lawyers when the university is supposed to have protected us. And the fact that the panel should be again uh, immediately done and we it is now over uh, two almost two years and the panel has not been organized instead professor uh, president mahoney comes and actually argues that the university has not been responsible just because she said oh i support academic freedom so i would i want to always ask that how come uh, she speaks about that but had her deeds and the deeds of the university contradict that the deeds of the university 
she herself, President Mahomi herself, in her final, she, she made three statements, one on September 5th, one on September 14th, one on September 23rd, and on September 23rd, she participated in the rally organized by Hillel, by the Israeli government, a foreign government, and by Anti-Defamation League and Jewish Community Relations Council to actually argue against us. And on the same day, we were silenced. She did two things. One, she said that Zoom has the right to its private uh, terms and so on, as if San Francisco State and California State University does not have a contract with Zoom. I mean, Zoom charges the university millions of dollars to make it the platform on which we can teach and, and study and present and have our open classrooms and so on. So San Francisco State is not, the University of San Francisco State is not issuing a neutral decision about Zoom. San Francisco State and CSU actually could have argued with Zoom and say to them, look, we want to renegotiate the contract because you're intervening in the content of our classrooms. You are trying to tell our faculty what to teach in their in, the, in their classroom. This is a violation of academic freedom. This is violation of freedom of speech. They didn't do that. President Mahoney also had participation with the Zionist groups in the, on the same day when we were silenced was also a proof that the university is not even neutral. So, I mean, the university... Well, says, here, let's talk right. about neutrality, because you've mentioned uh, these human rights organizations, uh, Human Rights Watch, Amnesty International, Betselem, there are others also who pretty much certify that Israel practices apartheid. So what's the position? Because, you're, you know, now, I mean, we can ask the question, and this is very important because this is, this is where, where debate should happen on campuses and, 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 and in academia. What's the position of San Francisco State University on, on Israeli apartheid? What's the position of President Mahoney since now three major organizations have certified Israel as an apartheid state? Has this question been put in, you know, to her? Yes, so, I mean, the, th the thing is, Jamal, is that there is silence. We have not heard a single well, si word. Silence is complicity. We know but silence know, is complicity. I'm coming to that. And I'm if, coming to that. I mean, not only silence, but no, no, but there is silence on the base of it. There is silence. And the base of it is that, I, and, and we were into, we, we should be, maybe my Professor Kinakawa will speak about the second uh, panel that we tried to do with UC Merced that was shut down, that was actually boomerang from the decision of uh, President Mahoney. But for San Francisco State, what San Francisco State has done, so we were silenced. We were shut down on September 23rd. The president of San Francisco State continued around the clock to meet with members of Hillel, uh, student Hillel, which is anti-Palestinian, uh, 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 San Francisco Hillel, with other groups, as she herself has admitted, published an op-ed in J Weekly, which is the newsletter of the Jewish Community Relations Council, in which, interestingly, she took out two words that she had in her statement to campus about Islamophobia and anti-blackness and only kept anti-Semitism, which is really a truly insult to uh, uh, the, the diversity of the Jewish communities, I would say, that uh, for, for the majority of the Jews, or at least um, um, an increasing uh, number, uh, it is uh, Zionism and Israel do not represent what they stand for and so on. And President Mahoney did not reach out neither to me nor Pro Professor Kinakawa to ask us. Professor Mahoney prides herself on being a scholar of, of, uh, of uh, feminism, a scholar of white, uh, of white nationalism, 
So we would have at least expected her. And, and uh, Professor Summit is a professor of uh, medieval studies and also labels herself as a feminist. Neither of them, two women at the helm of the university, did not reach to us two feminist queer scholars who actually were studying something about gender justice and resistance to ask us, come and let's have a conversation. Let's understand. Okay, you may be opposed to what you are saying, what we're saying. Come and, and ask us. Let's have a conversation. They did not reach out to us while they were around the clock meeting with Zionist groups and continuing. The most, the last thing I would say now uh, in this here is that uh, um, um, a few months ago, San Francisco State announced an official agreement official agreement signed by the Office of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion, which, by the way, co-sponsored the Zionist rally on September 23rd, did not reach out to us, co-sponsored the Zionist rally, as well as the, uh, the, the head of the advancement, the fundraising for the university, the vice president of the university, both of them announced an agreement with Hillel, Hillel International, and the Academic Engagement Network, which is a network that was set up by Mark Yudov, the former chancellor of UC, who was well known for his Islamophobia, anti-Palestinianness, support for Israel, and now is headed by a professor at Syracuse University who are constantly day in and day out attacking everybody from Columbia University to us. To the, if you remember, Jamal, they also like targeted me because I received the AUP award, the Association of American University Professors. And they actually threatened AAUP that they should lose, they might lose their funding if they continue to resent. I should, by the way, say that not a single member of the university administration, not a single one, emailed me to congratulate me for winning this prestigious award. And it was only left to our union, amazing union, California Faculty Association, to pass a resolution to congratulate me when all the other institutions hail and, and, and celebrate their faculty when they win any any uh, any uh, awards. So in this sense, San Francisco State is not only not neutral. San Francisco State actually is either at the worst part in 2002 when the task force, the community task force, was founded on which you sat and other people has sat, or worse than that because at that time we didn't even have a program. Now we have a program. We are teaching. The program has been uh, has been vetted, has been approved, has been approved at the highest level. And they have spent every single ounce in their power to dismantle the program and shut it down. What I'm saying here, though, that the narrative has changed. Again, I go back to the apartheid issue. If San Francisco State University is collaborating with organizations that basically stand for an apartheid regime, because that's what you're saying, they are collaborating with organizations, but now Israel, even even this debate is not absent from the U.S. Congress. You have Congress, members of Congress who recognize that Israel is, is an apartheid state. You have parliaments in Europe who recognize that Israel is an apartheid state. So if San Francisco State University is still and President Mahoney defending uh, Israel, they are collaborating with an apartheid state. Would this have ha happened when uh, there was a campaign to boycott apartheid South Africa? That's my question is. I'm, I'm, I, I think San Francisco State was also a little bit delayed in coming on board, but they did. But I will give you a more recent example. Uh, San Francisco State came out with a terrible statement after the uh, COVID virus spread, which was anti-Asian. 
and our colleagues in the Asian American Studies Department confronted the university. And Mahoney apologized. President Mahoney apologized. And the university issued a different statement. And this was the power of the Asian American Studies colleagues, the Asian American community, and all of us who stood by our colleagues and so on. We were, we were wondering, Professor Kinakawa and I, and all our supporters and everybody who's working with us, what is it that will take for San Francisco State to admit, I mean, even Biden, when he met with Rashida Tlaib on the tarmac in Dearborn, he asked her, how is your family doing in Palestine? I mean, everybody recognizes that, whether even the U.S. government is not going, of course, and the U.S. government will be the last one to say that Israel is an apartheid state, the same way that they did with apartheid South Africa. But you expect the president of the university, a well-learned intellectual and scholar, who understands, who teaches and learns about feminism, and who teaches and learns about white supremacy, who knows what has been going on, who has all the evidence, with whom I've met on several occasions. Actually, San Francisco State University President Mahoney was appointed at the same time that I had received that death threat. You remember, Jamal, the one in which the guy says, I'm a New York City retired detective, I wouldn't advocate violence, but watch out if you cross the street or you engage in an argument and so on. And I actually went and met with her, with the president of the union and the dean of uh, the associate dean of equity. And I spoke to her and she said, yes, we should be doing something. We should be doing something about Ahmed. We will make support and so on and so forth. And here we are. That was 2019. So who's making the decisions in your opinion? I mean, we know there is a lot of external pressure uh, on the administration. And I mean, by the Israel lobby, and that's what I call it, just under this whole umbrella, different groups, whether it's JCRC or ADL, etc. And I don't want to even get into the latest thing about APAC, which has been supporting now uh, uh, neocon Republicans who rejected the findings of the elections. But anyway, that's a different topic. So uh, is the tail wagging the dog? Yes, I mean, it's very, very clear that San Francisco State University is not acting in the best interest of uh, the, its, its mandate as a public university that's accountable for the, to the public, that is supposed to teach the children of the state of California and other children publicly, that is supposed to actually have a neutral, at the very least a neutral position, that San Francisco State also prides itself that it stands for social justice. If San Francisco State did not say we stand for social justice, it would be another matter. So we have a few minutes left, uh, Dr. Abdelhadi. I don't know if you feel comfortable talking, but you also have a pending lawsuit against the university. And my understanding is uh, there's some weird uh, settlement uh, that they tried to propose, which basically tell, tells you that if they settled with you, that you have to uh, tell the U.S. Equal Employment Opportunity Commission that you did not suffer from discrimination. I mean, they're asking you basically to lie about what happened to you. Well, let me just preface it by saying that uh, the second grievance that uh, I had, which was over the Ahmed program and the breach of, conf uh, of uh, contract, when they bait and switched me, they basically brought me, lured me in, and basically took away the two faculty lines. And we all have been struggling to reinstate the two faculty lines since 2009, when Corrigan canceled them because he was upset over a speaker at the Palestinian mural uh, anniversary, if you remember. And so uh, the, 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 the faculty panel also, again, unanimously ruled 
that the university harmed me, that there was a hostile work environment that the university has created, and that they should apologize, and they immediately should hire the two faculty li uh, lines at not only assistant professor now, at the associate or full professor uh, lines in order for us to be able to have a program, because if we had hired them in 2015, today we will be able to have at least we would be have we would have the department that they lured me to come and build in the first place, and so in the process of it, I sued the university in federal and state court. Uh, there is uh, there there has been a ruling uh, in the state court that the judge has ruled against me in in federal court, but we are appealing actually to a higher court. We already filed the appeal, and in the state court, the the, the case is going on. The university. I'm not sure if I'm supposed to be talking about this, but I am going to talk about it anyway because I think this is kind of like the public opinion. The university offered me a settlement. Basically, the university wants me out. For them, it's really, really important to get rid of Rabab Abdul Hadi. This was seen to be, they don't want to build the Ahmed Studies program. They don't want to uh, uh, address all my grievances. They don't want to address the discrimination that has been going on against me. So they offered me a settlement with uh, uh, an amount of money that, but they also asked me, and I said, okay, certain things that I was talking with my lawyer, it's fine if you are promising to build the Ahmed Studies program. If you feel that I'm the obstacle to building Ahmed Studies program, okay, I'll step away, build the Ahmed Studies program. However, this was this seemed not to be the case because what they really wanted to do is basically crush me completely. They want me to uh, resign ASAP as of August. They want me to uh, give up my right which is my in part of my collective bargaining agreement which is called faculty early retirement program by which i would be able to work for five more years for half of the salary after i retire which is a supplementary thing that is really bread and butter issue that i can actually do it until i'm able at an age where i can collect uh, social security and they said no they're not going to accept that and i said okay so why don't you buy out my uh, my uh, ferping go ahead and buy it out they said no they don't want to and they were trying to settle we're supposed to if they want to settle they want to settle the two lawsuits now they want to also settle all the grievances because they are so worried about the grievances that are going on today at the university which we have we have been we won two grievances professor kinakawa will win their grievance uh, we had to adjourn because the university representative's father has passed away right she, she heard right while we were there so we adjourned and we will continue in a couple of weeks to do that. We're confident that Professor Kinikawa will win uh, their grievance. And the university is very afraid because they don't want to be caught with eggs on their face in public. This is really the issue. And for them, they would like to get rid of me in order to also teach a lesson to everybody else. This is the chilling effect of McCarthyism. You deprive people of their livelihood. You make their life hellish. You create a hostile work environment. You cancel their classes. You refuse them disability accommodation. You uh, you do not defend them when they are being trashed and smeared and bullied and harassed and threatened on campus and so on. And you think that they're going to go away because you are main uh, group that you are accountable to is your donors who tend to be right-wingers and Zionists and your Zionist allies. This is really what the situation is. What I am saying to everybody is that I am going to stay in the classroom, teach until the day I die. I'm going to die standing in the classroom to teach. San Francisco State would like me to go out in order for them. They need to come up with conditions to build the Ahmed Studies program. This is a demand not only for me, 
This is not just a violation of my contract. This is a demand for all our communities of justice. And I'm not just talking Arab, Arabs, Muslims, and Palestinians. I'm talking about people like Professor Kinakawa. I'm talking about, about our uh, Jewish and Zionist friends who are working with us. I'm talking about the union. I'm talking about the women. I'm talking about the work. I'm talking about the San Francisco Labor Council that unanimously voted in favor of a resolution that ordered President Mahoney to cut out these shenanigans and get down to the business of justice and do what is right and stop violating our rights. This is what's going on. So the battle continues. You're not giving up. Uh, we'd like to talk to you again. Uh, you know, we're running out of time. And uh, I want to thank you both, uh, Professor Kinokawa and uh, Professor Rabab Abdelhadi. And we'll continue the conversation uh, hopefully soon. Thank you for thank coming you for on the show. Thank you so much. You've been listening to Arab Talk on KPOO San Francisco 89.5 FM. Go to our website, arabtalkradio.com, to download our latest episodes. And we will talk to you next week. See you next week. Thank you.